Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. I don't love as much as I loved my lattes, um, but um, I'm I'm feeling good. The uh, it's a good good thing to be doing. Uh, less dairy, less dairy. Uh, Let's see. I forgot the date. <clears throat> Today is Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. I had a good day yesterday. Um, very good writing day. Got my 3,000 words. Um, and I'm feeling like I am... The story is building the way that I need it to be building at this point. So I think I know um, pretty much where it's going. I'm discovering some interesting things. So... All of that is a good thing. And yeah, the, uh, the intermittent fasting is working well. Um, definitely, uh, I'm experiencing a lot of the same things that Grace talked about uh, and that the some of the people who advocate that kind of eating, uh, it definitely works well for me to... Um, have that clearing out of my system and eat. I'm doing pretty much a 16-8 eating schedule. So I don't eat for 16 hours and then eat within the eight hours. It ends up being that I eat like really only two meals in that eight hours, um, possibly a snack here and there if I'm feeling like I really want something to eat. Uh, they, they really advocate eating only when you're hungry. Go figure. Um, so I'm usually really hungry for my breakfast, for breaking my fast. And then I'll get um, mildly hungry at other times of day. And one of the things that the intermittent fasters talk about is not to um, starve yourself during the eight hours, you know, not to worry about how much you're eating because you don't want your body to go into that starvation mode where you start lowering your metabolism. So, um, so yeah, it's... Um, it's going well. I'm feeling really energetic and, um, yeah, it's fantastic. So this is like my main thing is that I, I don't get to have my, my latte in the morning and I'm not even putting stevia in my coffee because apparently anything that's sweet and stevia will cause an insulin spike. And that's the main reason I'm doing this is to deal with uh, insulin resistance. So, um, yeah, that's, it's a minor thing to give up and I have my lemon water, which I know sounds like a poor substitute, but I used to do this all the time in my youth, just drink lemon water in the morning. Uh, coffee consumption is going way down, which is probably really good for me health wise. Not so great for podcast brand wise. <laughs> So I um, mentioned yesterday that I'm doing this reread of Cat's Eye by Margaret Atwood, my favorite Margaret Atwood book. And a few people were interested and asked me how it was holding up, which is always the question we ask, right? We ask, how does a book hold up over time? Because, and it's, it's so interesting which things hold up and which don't. Uh, this is particularly true of movies. Um, there are 
what is it with the 80s movies, right? Uh, there are so many 80s movies that I loved and David remembers loving in 80s and early 90s, you know, like things that we watched together that we thought were really funny at the time. And now they're coming out on streaming and we're like, oh, yeah, let's watch that again. And it's terrible. It's just like not even funny. It's like, why did we think this was funny the first time? And then other movies, I can watch them and not find them all that funny the first time. And then, <laughs> oh, you know, like on a rewatch, it'll be hilarious. In fact, I almost always find with new movies, find the movie funnier on a second watch than I do the first time. And I don't know if it's because I have a sense of where it's going now or what. It's a really interesting phenomenon. And I know that there are people out there who will um, assertively teach things and say, oh, well, the reason for this is. And uh, you all, longtime listeners of First Cup of Coffee, know that I am hesitant to assign rules to things. I don't know if there is always with art a specific explanation. Uh, though I'm interested to hear if any of you have thoughts on why that is. Um, but books, yeah, how do books hold up over time? And and with that, there can be a couple things. Sometimes, oh, what's the word for, um, it's like a cringe read or something. When you, um, hold on, I can't ever find this word. We'll just call it a cringe read here on the podcast. Um, but yeah, sometimes you go back and you read stuff from your childhood. Uh, Roald Dahl is, is one of them where, you know, it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> there's some really problematic stuff in here. There's a way that things uh, don't always hold up over time is that they simply lose their magic. So I talked yesterday about rediscovering things on rereads and how, you know, like the really wonderful books, you discover new things about them uh, on rereads and other ones you go back and read them and they feel meaningless. You know, that it's, they just, um, yeah, like they lost their magic. And sometimes I do think it's because the magic has to do with a particular time. And, you know, and people are always seeking this out. And I know I come back to this theme a lot here on the podcast, but, you know, like the idea of why, why do Jane Austen's books hold up, even though they have contemporary references, contemporary to her. And the advice that I heard early on in my career, you know, that you shouldn't include any contemporary references in your work. Which becomes interesting when you write science fiction and fantasy, right? Because if you write alternate world fantasy... There aren't contemporary references. There might be if you write urban fantasy. But um, science fiction struggles with technology. If you write really near future and the and our uh, current timeline passes the near future and some of the ideas and technologies become obsolete really fast, it's a real challenge. So I know that some writers try to I don't want to say game the system, but try to avoid this pitfall by 
sticking with, you know, like universal themes. People are like universal themes. You know, this is, uh, I don't know, you know, sort of like the wardrobe classics, right? You know, if you have your, your black pencil skirt and your boots and your fitted jacket, that these are wardrobe classics that are immune to the rise and fall of fads. <laughs> I was telling someone the other day that back when I had my day job, uh, my boss and I, and it's funny because I had dinner with my boss last night and I, I do want to come back and talk about that, um, that we got so tired of the bro language in meetings. Like we would be the only two women in meetings and these guys who, who we knew did not watch sports. I mean, like we, we worked with these guys. We knew them well. We knew they were not into sports. They would devolve into these like sports metaphors for everything. And so she and I started coming up with all of these deliberate, very female metaphors for things. Um, but, and I feel like this is a really good one, right? You know, the fashion of, you know, is it a fad that's going to look stupid in a year or is it a classic? And I think that sometimes writers are seeking out those themes that they feel like, oh, well, this will be a classic. It will never go out of style. But you don't know. You don't know what's going to stay in style. And that's why you just have to write your story. You just have to, um, you know, there, you don't get to uh, game the system. You know, did Jane Austen think we'd be reading her books all these, you know, 150 years later, 200 years later? I'm not good with the dates. Um, yeah, probably not. So, um, yeah, had dinner with my boss last night. Uh, she was down in Albuquerque for a conference, had come in, had not seen her um, in a really long time. <laughs> like, I was trying to figure out when I last saw her. I think we saw her, I saw her when I visited her in Maine. And we went to their um, ski house in the summertime, but it was beautiful. And that was, um, I think 2016, but I, you know, it was interesting because for someone that I used to work with daily, if virtually, um, but then we would be on trips together for like a week at a time and for, for over 10 years, um, maybe a dozen years. So it was interesting to see her again and to realize that there were large parts of my brain. Um, you guys have this experience, you know, like the, I, I equate it to the file room, which I know is an uninspired analogy, but you know, like there are layers of memories and you know, there's the stuff that I use actively, which is like a, a bustling office space and I can pull up, <clears throat> excuse me, I can pull that information up pretty fast. You know, it's like right there in the file drawer, but stuff that's older stuff I haven't used in a long time. It's like, it's gone down to the archives and I have to send the memory gnomes down there. <clears throat> and sometimes they're down there rooting around for a really long time. And so stuff like from graduate school, you know, all of the neurophysiology and neuroanatomy, um, that stuff is like down in the dusty files. And it takes a while to retrieve it. Usually I can. It just takes a little while. Uh, but I didn't realize how much of my day job life 
And for those of you who don't know, um, you know, I worked in environmental consulting for 18 years. So probably she and I worked together more like 15 of those years, maybe even more 15, 16. I know I didn't work with her for most of like the first year, maybe not sure. So we worked very closely together for much of my life as my whole point here. And in, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know why I'm so throaty. Hold on. Probably having restaurant food last night, right? I had some, I had a steak with uh, blue cheese on it. It was excellent. But, um, yeah, <clears throat> sorry, forgive me, please. So anyway, um, and in, I think it was 2015, 2015, 2016, must've been 2016, uh, no fall of 2015. I know you guys don't care the, when people do this to me. I'm like, does it matter? You <laughs> know, do we need to, do we need to wait for the gnome to bring back this number or this name? Usually the answer is no. Anyway, uh, that was when I got laid off from the day job. Our team had been pared down and I decided to see if I could make it as a full-time writer at that point. And, and I have ever since I have not had a day job again. Um, and it's been, it was interesting talking to Laurie about it and, uh, you know, the, the fact that as a, as an author and, you know, even as a career author that you never stop hustling. And she was really surprised by that. She said, well, I thought that the publishers would just be all gimme, gimme, gimme. I was like, Oh no, I wish. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's, there are some authors who are like that, but you know, the, they're just always publishing waxes and wanes and they're like, Oh, we can't sell that kind of thing right now. So, yeah, it was just funny talking about people we used to know and what kind of work she's doing now. She's doing very similar work, but for a different company now. And yeah, it was, I guess my memory gnomes were very busily scurrying and going down to that one section of the archives that had not been opened in a while. And, you know, it's funny when you do that, when you open those old memories and they start bringing up other boxes too, right? So that they're like sorting through for a particular thing, but there's all these other boxes and they're like, is this, is this, is it? And so you start getting all of this, these associated memories. It It's really true that when we, you know, stop doing a thing. And David and I were talking about this when I got home, I forgot what it was like working there, you know, and I, you, I think we tend to, retain the nostalgia, you know, tend, try, you know, we tend to remember that the good stuff and not so much, you know, like I was remembering what it was like, um, you know, she was teasing me about how I would sometimes, <laughs> well, uh, this was a funny thing. Like she would give me a hard time about using words that were too big with some of our clients. And she, had often brought that up, not often, occasionally brought that up in like performance reviews that I needed to try to simplify my vocabulary for clients. And she was teasing me a little bit about how I would um, sometimes say stuff that people didn't like. And it was really interesting to think about the fact that 
in the ensuing years since I have been a writer and pretty much running my own career where I'm not beholden to, to clients anymore that nobody has given me shit about how I talk in all these years. Um, nobody gives me shit about using big words, except for my agent. Um, she does occasionally when we are working on a book that she wants to take out on submission that she will occasionally highlight certain words and tell me, do I really need the $10 word? Which is funny to me because I don't see it as, you know, it's that it's, it's, they're all just words to me. You know, I guess words are my medium to sound artistic words are my medium. Um, and they're, they're all, you know, it's like, it, it would be like telling a painter, see, here we go. Writers always want to use the analogy of a painter, but it would be like telling a painter that they shouldn't use a particular shade of green because uh, other people don't really get that shade of green. It's like, don't use, don't use cerise. Um, maybe you shouldn't use any colors that have funny names. Don't use mauve. Um, you know, it's like, well, why not? It's, it's the exact shade I want. So, so yeah, that was, that was interesting. And, you know, to have those occasional looking back windows into who we were in the past, you know, you don't always realize the ways that you've changed until you get that glimpse of who you used to be. Um, and it was, it was just really interesting to see that and to see that I'm so much happier now. Um, I'm unbelievably happier now, which is good to know, you know, like, cause I th feel like, you know, I try to be honest with you guys on this podcast and tell you what it is like to be a career author, which means that I do try to include the ways in which it is frustrating or upsetting or so, so forth. But in the end, wow, you guys, it's so much better than having a job where you work for somebody else. Uh, and, and that was a job that I pretty much liked and people that I liked working with. But yeah, being able to create your own work and not having things where like people tell you, you need to watch your mouth around clients. Um, <laughs> total win. So um, along those lines, I thought it was interesting. I got a message from assistant Kareen this morning that she is setting up um, a deal for me. I'm going to be doing that uh, read for pixels thing. Uh, <laughs> there, there will be information coming, but they've been really great to work with. They're really awesome. And she sent me a little clip from the email where uh, the organizer gal, Regina, I don't know if she's Regina or Regina, but she's, introduced Kareen. She said, let me introduce you to Jeffy Kennedy's fantastic assistant, Kareen. She's the one who'll be corresponding with us for Jeffy. And Kareen was so pleased by that. And I know I've mentioned this on here before, but it continues to be amazing uh, who is not courteous to my assistant. Because Kareen was so happy about this, just to be acknowledged as, yes, there's a human being behind this name. And that, yes, she is doing a lot of this work for me uh, and for them, you know, that she's the linchpin. And 
she is the one to butter up, you guys. <laughs> she is the way that 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 you get to me, um, and it's incredible how many people try to render her invisible. Like there are a couple people who um, ask me to teach classes and workshops, and they they get Kareen's name wrong like consistently, even though it's right there in the email. Uh, they try to go around her all the time. They pretend that she doesn't exist. And it's like, you know, treating my assistant, who is my friend and has been my friend for many years, and without whom many things would fall apart, uh, treating her like she doesn't exist is not a way to get in good with me. Um, it's... Uh, it, I understand that some people feel like they shouldn't have to go through an intermediary, but that's how a lot of us balance our lives, right? You know, you, you cannot, it, it's hard, especially when you're, you know, wearing a lot of different hats. You need someone to help you sort through all of the nonsense out there and, uh, you know, reduce that noise so that, you know, you, you just get the signal. Um, our, our virtual assistants are, or even in-person assistants, but most of us, I think, are working with virtual ones, um, are invaluable. We, we love them. And <laughs> trying to go around them, no, 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 no. So um, I even had notes today to talk about, but I'll talk about one of them on Thursday. Uh, tomorrow is blog day. So... Um, yeah, I hope you all have a wonderful Tuesday and that if you're rereading something, did I finish talking about that? Cat's Eye is holding up really well. It's, um, yeah, I feel like it's relevant to me in different ways and interesting ways than it was before. And I will continue to talk about it. Oh, I'm not going to be doing a podcast on Thursday because I'm going to be traveling. So actually today is the last podcast for the week. So I will save this note for um, Monday. Maybe I'll do a podcast on Friday. We'll see. Kind of see where my head's at. But yeah, um, going on a little mini break. So I hope you all have a wonderful week. And I will talk to you for sure next Monday. You all take care. Bye-bye.